Welcome to Quick Bites by Mind Over Food. I'm Andy Friedman, and today my very special guest is Dana Reiser, the Executive Director at Feast. Dana Reiser is a lifelong food enthusiast, wellness leader, and educator. She's the Executive Director at Feast, a nonprofit dedicated to promoting wellness and enriching lives through the power of healthy foods and human connection. As Executive Director, she is proud to lead the small and mighty team working to realize Feast's vision, to see that all individuals have equal access to the conditions that create health and wellness. Dana has a master's degree in food studies and food systems, a nutrition-focused professional culinary certification from the Natural Gourmet Institute for Health and Culinary Arts. And she's an advanced registered yoga teacher. So, Dana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. This is this is really a special treat for my mind over foodies out there, because what we're going to talk about today, they really need to hear and they might not know that this is going on. So, as I said in your bio that you're the executive director of Feast, can you just tell me a little bit about Feast and what Feast is and what it does? Absolutely. Um, So FEAST stands for Food Education Access and Support Together. And it's a nonprofit organization that we got started here in Los Angeles about seven years ago, um, primarily serving families that are living in what are called food deserts. Um, Increasingly, we've we've been updating that term. You might hear um, areas that are experiencing food apartheid. Um, And that's because the idea of a desert makes it sound as though it's a a natural occurring phenomenon. And those neighborhoods really are not the result of a naturally occurring phenomenon. Um, They are the result of a lot of um, biased practices that have happened over decades and decades of time um, that have left communities without the ability to find or afford healthy food in their communities. So um, FEAST is a wellness program uh, that goes in and it's uh, a really holistic model that not just educates folks about how to eat healthy with very limited resources, um, but it also creates a, a support group environment. So the S and the T of our FEAST support together is really the secret ingredient, I think, to the work that we do. Um, It is a space for often moms or women or caretakers to come together with their peers and to share about all of the factors that go into trying to um, navigate an unhealthy food environment, all of the challenges you might face trying to become healthy yourself, um, all of the challenges you might face trying to impart healthy behaviors on your children or your family members. Um, So it's a really unique and sort of intimate uh, experience for people to not just learn from a curriculum, but to really learn from themselves and from other women around them about what's working, what's hard, how to um, overcome those challenges, and also to know that they're not alone in that journey. So it's a a really powerful and very special program that um, now serves actually not just Los Angeles, but uh, many communities now across the US. We have some in New York, some in Nebraska, some in uh, Virginia and elsewhere. So it's, it's really starting to spread out, which is really exciting. It, it is so exciting. It's so great. And 
you know, I'm based in the Boston area, so maybe we need that, you know, here. And it is so tied into these biases, these marginalized communities that are, I like that term, apart, what do you call it, food apartheid? Is that yeah. what you said? Yeah. It's a very, um, it's a strong and stark term. Um, but the more that I've heard it in um, circles that, you know, we are working in, um, I do think it's a more accurate term in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah. I couldn't agree more. I really, I really think that, you know, people may have heard that term food desert and not really understood what it meant. So this maybe brings more of that <laughs> urgency to, to it. So you have said that a guiding question for your work is to explore the why we eat, which I really love that because it also, I think people feel like if they eat healthy, that means they have to abandon some of their their you know, uh, cultural beliefs or culture around food, which is so important. And, and with my clients, I try to explain that you don't have to give that up. So can you talk a little bit about the why we eat? Yeah, you know, it became a really um, pressing question for me as I started to listen to what I what I like to call people's food stories. Um, you know, right. when I I was working with clients. Um, first, I was working in New York City and working with individuals who um, had lots of resources. I was a yoga teacher. I was working, um, doing you know food consulting and coaching and um, running you know yoga workshops and and food retreats. Um, and you know, hearing people over and over again talking about the various factors that went into um, how they sort of had evolved as eaters and where they were today and the struggles they had and. And then, you know, fast forward being in Los Angeles and serving a very different um, kind of population and hearing, again, you know, these uh, kind of shared experiences around food, all of these different factors that kind of go into our eating habits. And um, I started to recognize that, you know, I, I was very into food and health um, and nutrition. And so thinking about, you know, what to eat was always very important to me. Um, I also love that, you know, you focus on how to eat. So, you know, those healthy habits and, and behavioral change things that we can all um, experiment with and, and bring into our lives. Um, but the why was something, uh, you know, that, that also started to feel really important because uh, what I started to notice was that there's always some part of ourselves that we are feeding when we are eating. And it's not always just mm. our physical body. Right. There are other layers of ourselves that are getting fed when we reach for certain foods and um, understanding, you know, what part of yourself you're feeding um, that. Why? Why am I reaching for food right now um, was really critical to me. Uh, it started to really show up that that was that was another core question we needed to help people explore and to understand so that they felt you know, not just fed, but but actually nourished by the choices that they were making. I love that you use the word nourished. Um, because I have switched probably in the last year and a half or two years or so to using that word instead of the word healthy or, or eating healthy food, because I find that that is a real negative trigger. I love using the word nourish because I would like to get rid of the word diet and talk about nourishing our bodies. And so I so appreciate that you focus on this nourishment and it's not something for the well-off to be able to nourish. I, I just, I'm just so moved by your work and how everybody deserves to be nourished, Yeah, absolutely. which seems like a central tenet there of your work. 
it's so important. I think too, you know, we, I coming from, you know, more of the, the yoga side and, and that right. sort of background for a while, you know, there's a lot of terminology around cleansing and detoxing and, you know, our language is so powerful. And um, if you instead, you know, did the same behaviors, you, you know, eliminated some, some refined sugar and, and only stuck to eating like whole grains and fruits and veggies for a few days, um, you know, calling that like, uh, an experience of nourishing rather than cleansing um, already has such a different resonance to it. You know, when we say we're, we're detoxing or cleansing, it implies that some part of ourselves are dirty, you know, that there's something <laughs> shameful with what we've been doing. And, um, you know, I really, I really hate to have people feel like that's the case. I certainly don't want to feel that way that I've been bad or that I've been dirty. You know, my, my food choices are, are something that I have to, you know, atone for through this ritual of, you know, whatever the process is. But when we put it in the context of how can I nourish myself? How can I feed these parts of myself? Um, that's such a beautiful process and one that's so affirming and one that is so proactive, right? It's, it's really forward moving. Um, and I, and I also think really healing. So I'm glad that you also are using that word. I think it's, I think it's a good one. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think my listeners are probably their ears are ringing because <laughs> I, you know, I really drive this, this thing home. And I, and I love the fact that you talk about how detox, right. It's like, oh, we have to eliminate this yicky part. And then all of a sudden we'll feel better. And, um, and rather like an act of self-love, right. Mm -hmm. Nourishing our body is taking care of ourselves. It's, it's an act of self-love rather than an act of a punitive act, which exactly. is kind of what you're talking about. A cleanse is a punitive act, you know, and it feels like it too. If you've ever done one, it really, it really feels like it, you know, and then like nourishing our body is listening to our body. And I'm not talking about this in, in the context necessarily of, you know, eat this, don't eat that. But it's like, oh, what what's going to make me feel good and what's going to deal with that whatever hunger it is that we are experiencing. And I know you talk about the four forms of hunger, and I'm really interested in learning what you mean by that, which I think I'm going to really love. So what do you mean by the four forms of hunger and yeah. So as I, you know, as I mentioned, was was hearing from so many different kinds of people over the years about their food journeys. Um, I started to recognize that in our food stories, our histories with food, our experiences with food, there were um, several themes that kept coming up. And um, most recently, I started to really understand them as as these four forms of hunger. And so they are um, the physical form of hunger, which we can all, you know, very obviously <laughs> connect with, um, but also emotional hunger, which I think also is, is increasingly understood that, um, you know, we both have emotional needs that need to be fulfilled. And that sometimes one of the ways and mechanisms we go about fulfilling that um, can be through food um, for better or worse. It, it is a, a very common experience that a lot of us share. And the later two, I think, are, are pieces that don't get spoken about as often, but there's a growing body of research, uh, especially around social isolation and loneliness now that's really showing how essential um, close personal relationships are to 
not just our emotional well-being, but literally our physical health outcomes. Um, you are less likely to die in a nine-year period if you have close friends and social ties, regardless of any other healthy habits that you take on, diet, sleep, you know, exercise, just having strong social connections um, is one of the determinants to keep you alive and healthy for a longer period of time. So that's another key piece of ourselves that needs nourishment, that needs to be fed. And it's also another place where you see sometimes, you know, the, the sort of cliche of getting, you know, dumped and you go and eat like the pint of ice cream, right? <laughs> you could see that as a form of social hunger, like you are longing for, uh, you know, that connection to that other person. It also goes into the emotional form, right? The longing to be loved, but food again, might play a role in that, in that layer of ourselves. And then the final layer is spiritual. So, you know, all of us have a drive to have meaning and purpose, um, to have some way that we are um, feeling like we are contributing to this world in, in a positive fashion or, or feeling creative and generative. Um, and again, when that isn't fulfilled or when that piece is lacking, it's another time where we might be reaching for, and it could be food or, or um, you know, myriad other things, but food is very common. It's one of the easiest things we have access to that can help us manage life. Um, so spiritual hunger is another form that I explore and, um, and I think comes up quite often for people, especially in our extremely busy and overfilled lives. You know, we can be producing so much, but not necessarily be connected to the heart of like what we're creating or to the purpose behind that. Um, and that can leave a lot of us feeling really empty inside. Yeah. And it seems like now more than ever, I mean, there, there have been some stories, research, some articles about how during the pandemic, we really did reach for food yes. and, and a lot of people, alcohol as well. And that now having to sort of retrain ourselves to make, you know, more nourishing choices. But we are, you know, we thought of it as stress release, that emotional hunger. But I think the the social and the spiritual hunger were just as important in that case. And when you couldn't have social connection, you couldn't have spiritual connection. It was really the only thing and kind of feeling kind of acceptance around that, right? Like, okay, it, it was, it's okay. You, you did the best you could. And a lot of people beating themselves up about that, that, you know, I'm trying to say, it's okay. It's not your fault. We all did it. it it's, it was what we had. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I think as challenging as that or that experience was for, you know, so many of us, um, I think it's also given us an opportunity. Like I think more people have come to understand the way that food or other substances, like you mentioned, alcohol, um, you know, that there are these ways that we, we go to, to cope. And like you said, it's not bad that we do that. It's natural. Like we as human beings, like need those mechanisms in order to be well. And when we don't have the right fit for those, you know, forms of hunger, that is where things get tricky because like, I like to say all of the forms of hunger we have are valid. They're important. So whenever you have a, a hunger, a craving, a longing for something, um, that is not the time to be saying like, Oh, this is bad, or I shouldn't have this. Instead, it's the time to really get curious about it. Like, what, what is this hunger telling me? What is this craving um, trying to get me to experience and to feel? And 
the more we can get to know these different layers of ourselves and what they're really hungry for, um, the more we can really start to make different choices that that satisfy that form of hunger. So if it's a physical, you know, actual need to eat, like go eat. And if it's emotional, you know, you might still eat. Sometimes there's still a time where you're going to, you know, eat birthday cake just because it's, you know, celebrating and that's going to feel you know, an Why emotional not? feeling, right? Of course, like you know, we don't eat birthday cake because we're hungry necessarily, but right. because, because emotionally it's doing something and there's a place for that. But other times, you know, we might reach for food and it's an emotional hunger and it's really not going to satisfy that, that gap that's there. And so you'll keep reaching for more and more of it and never get the relief that you need. And that's, you know, that's what I hope to help people alleviate because, you know, it's, it's again, not bad that that gap is there. That gap is telling us something like we, it needs our attention and how we can learn how to fill it in a way that really lets it feel satisfied is our goal. You know, we want to feel, um, we want to feel content and soothed and comforted and to find the right way to do that. That's going to really deeply satisfy that, that place is, is really key. I, that is so beautifully put. And I, I couldn't agree more that I love how you talked about like being curious about it. I find that probably 90% of, of the frustration, anxiety, maybe even depression around eating and food is related to this beating ourselves up around our choices. And I just want people to let go of that. See, Dana says, let go of that, <laughs> right? We, we, it's a common theme, like let go of that and, and be curious. Be, I know for me personally that if I keep opening and closing the refrigerator and the cupboards that I'm not hungry because if I was, a, I'd grab a carrot and it would be amazing if, you know, and it is amazing when I'm hungry, but if nothing is there to do it, I'm like, huh, something else is going on. Now, do you counsel people or maybe counsel is the right word in your, in your programming when you're educating people, I assume you're educating people about the four forms of hunger. And that probably is really eye-opening for them because they've never thought about it in that way. Because food can be a coping mechanism, but maybe we don't always want it to be, or maybe the types of foods that we go for when we need that soothing, like you say, maybe isn't working for us. And and what kinds of things do you, you know, maybe other ideas or 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 other things you share with them that could be a better way to cope yeah. <laughs> with these things. Yeah. So we sort of address all of those, um, the kind of two sides of that coin, like one, um, it's really about creating first an awareness of like, what do I do currently when I'm experiencing an emotional hunger or, you know, social longing um, or a lack of connection? Like, what are the habits that I might fall into? And so in our, our group context, we have sharing circle topics where each week we are literally opening up the floor to have a dialogue about how that shows up in our life and people have the opportunity to talk about it as it arises for them. And once you have that really cool, can you share some of the topics of, yeah, super cool. Yeah, absolutely. Emotional eating is one, you know, so do you notice that your emotions affect what you eat, how often you eat the kinds of foods you reach for, um, you know, describing how we talk a lot about our family food history. So that's a sharing topic. So thinking back about your early childhood experiences with food and how that might shape you as an eater today, um, you know, some families that we work with, you know, they've experienced hunger as a child. And so 
overeating as an adult might actually be a response to that trauma of one, you know, never wanting to feel hungry again. And two, it's also something that they then, um, you know, I think even for those of us that didn't experience this on a, you know, really significant scale, um, if you had parents or grandparents that survived the depression, you know, a lot of us were taught clean your plate, clean your plate, clean your plate. And where that came from was having gone through scarcity, knowing how valuable food was and that it wasn't always going to be available. And so this message that, you know, even if your body is full or you don't like it, you know, you need to eat everything that's there. Um, there are so many ways ways that we might have, you know, received that kind of messaging or different messaging, but that can really affect you as you become an eater as an adult and then what you pass on to your kids. So that's a topic, for example. Um, that's really great. Yeah. And then once we have those sharings and those reflections, the next stage is really goal setting. You know, it's, it's letting people identify, okay, well, if I notice I do eat emotionally or when I'm stressed at three in the afternoon every day, we actually open it up again for them to determine what is a healthy habit for you. So if it's about stress eating, you know, they may determine, well, some other things that help me feel unstressed are, you know, going for a walk calling a good friend, you know, listening to a comedy podcast, you know, there are tons of different, very personal, creative ways that people know for themselves, like this also helps to alleviate that feeling. And then they set a goal around that. You know, my goal is to notice when I'm feeling this way and to, instead of reaching for food, you know, try one of these other, um, strategies instead. And then they check in each week about how that's going and, um, or how it's, you know, not gone depending on the week, you know, it's, and, and it's a really, um, again, just supportive space for people to be in that process. Yeah. I know. I, I find too, that it's really transformative, uh, when people start thinking about it in that way, you know, it's definitely the CBT that I use. It's that's right in line with that. So, you know, I love this supportive environment, that it's in, like that I think is the key, right? Because we could sit here and tell, you know, tell you what to do or tell you, you know, or do these, even these strategy brainstorming sessions with you. But I think in that, that's really amazing. Are you, do you teach sure. cooking or, or is there, is there a social cooking or is there um, some cooking classes yeah. with, with Feast? Yeah, so feast actually the the food education portion of it um, is two parts. It, it includes a conversation every week uh, that goes over everything from you know basic skills like label reading to um, really understanding the the challenges of the food environment we're all navigating day to day. And and that's not just for folks that are in you know food deserts necessarily. We live in a really weird food system that um, has made really not nutritious food really affordable and other forms of food, not so much. Um, so we talk about all of that in that portion, um, but then we go right into the kitchen together. So every single class of our 16 week program has um, a cooking demonstration where people come together around the table and get to you know mix and chop and put together um, really simple, but really tasty recipes that are also really affordable um, and full of color and just really fun. So it's a big part of the program. Um, and it's obviously the most fun part. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would think so. I would think so. I mean, I, I, um, I, I just know that feeling of something that you've created that's like really beautiful because like you say, full of colors and then you eat it, it feels like it nourishes you more <laughs> than Absolutely. if you just the, you know, the corner store that's already like, you know, buy a frozen dinner or something like that. It doesn't feel as good as like the fruits of your labor, right? 
Totally. So that's totally. a whole, and that's, a, like you said, all of the things, the physical hunger, the emotional hunger, the social, because you're doing it all together and the mm-hmm. spiritual, there's something very spiritual about cooking. And yeah. tell me about some of the, what are some of the outcomes of this? Because I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. So. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, you know, with feast specifically, one of the things that was created to address was the fact that, you know, people living with lower incomes, Uh, tend to have disproportionate rates of obesity and diet-related disease. Um, You know, you can look neighborhood by neighborhood, and in the lower-income earning neighborhoods, you'll see that rates of those issues are often 10% higher than in more affluent neighborhoods nearby. So we really set out to address some of the root causes and behaviors more than focusing just on, for example, it's not about weight loss in our program. We're, We're really working with people who might have a ton of different kinds of goals when it comes to shaping their relationship with food and nourishment. Um, It may for some be about losing weight. It may for others be about um, just learning how to pass healthier habits down to their children because they're now moms and are concerned with, you know, the different issues that their kids are facing. You mentioned school lunch a while ago. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine, you know, the, the number of moms I hear who say that their kids are eating things like hot Cheetos for breakfast or just are just hooked on hot Cheetos. You know, there's it's I mean, it's whatever they put in that stuff. It's it's um, crazy. So, you know, it's so funny because I, I they have that snack table. I guess where they have the school lunch, but they have that snack table. And I remember walking, this is, this is 15 years ago. My daughter's 21 now. And I remember walking in and she turned around and said, hi, mama. And she had a chocolate milk in one hand and a push up in another hand. And she didn't eat. And I, my head exploded, but anyway, what is that? You know? Yeah. So, you know, so some of the things we do track, um, you know, we, we measure everything from we do track weight loss for those that are interested in it. Um, we also track biometrics like BMI uh, or sorry, um, uh, A1C. So, you know, blood sugar changes, right. cholesterol level changes. We also actually track a lot of social emotional changes. Um, there are a few validated scales that we use to look at people's feelings of self-esteem and self-efficacy and feelings of having social support and resilience when when trouble arises. Um, and all of those things are actually, uh, they're measurable and they do get impacted by the program itself. And that, that you know, again, the support element of it, knowing that they're not on the journey alone, knowing that none of us are on this journey alone, you know, that that there are other people sharing these struggles, especially when it comes to trying to change our lifestyle or our habits, um, things that we've might have been working on our entire lives or carried with us our entire lives and are just starting to explore. So those changes, those emotional changes are uh, really key as well, because when you recognize your self-worth when you recognize that you, you know, again, your hunger is valid. There's nothing shameful about it, that um, you deserve health and well-being just as much as anybody else. And that your body is something that is really unique and something that is worth caring for. Um, When you have all of those messages really uh, digested and absorbed, it is much easier then to, you know, you don't even have to really think about the choices that you make. It's like, of course, I want to do this because it feels good. It's not about someone telling you you should do it because it's good for you, but it feels good to do it. And, and that's really the key. You know, we, it has to come from the inside out. And that's, 
again, that's true for all of us. It's, it's not about one group of, of people or another. It's really, you know, what I've found to be true for myself, my eating habits shifted entirely because of how I started to understand my body and what it was capable of and how to take care of it and wanting to take care of it in a loving way. Um, I, it didn't matter, you know, what, what the shoulds were anymore. It, it was like just natural that I would want to do what, what felt good. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> myself. I love how you brought up the shoulds. I always tell my clients, don't should on yourself. Never should on yourself. Exactly. exactly. It's a dirty word. It's a dirty word. <laughs> don't use that word should. And you just said so many yummy things, pun intended, that it's just, it's just a beautiful thing. I just wish our whole society would embrace this mm-hmm. and not think of it as, you know, another program or something like that, but just, this is, this is the way just to be, just to be right. And also that it's not your fault. These are, this is hard work. This is hard. You've been taught a certain way. It's not your fault and it's okay. And wherever you are in your journey, it's okay. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, wow. I mean, there's just so much more to talk about here. I mean, we're just getting a little taste. Boy, I have all the food uh, puns <laughs> here today. <laughs> we're just scratching the surface. We're just getting a little, a little tiny, teeny tiny taste. But I want, I want you to have a minute to talk about, first of all, how people can reach out if they want to donate to Feast, okay. if they want to volunteer with Feast. How can they get involved if this is something important to them? And this isn't necessarily about your journey, too. This just could be a passion you have about getting rid of these food, this food apartheid. I'm going to use that forever now. (laughs) So tell the folks. and, And of course, I'll post it in the description so people can click right on through. So. So, um, so you can find us at Feast at feastforall.org. Um, and it's all words, so Feast, F-O-R, all. Um, and there you'll be able to find everything about you know, the program itself. Um, you'll hear stories and testimonials from our um, family members that are a part of the program, um, the women who have gone on from graduating to now be group leaders themselves. Oh. Um, there's options to, yeah, options to donate, options to volunteer with us if you're in the Los Angeles area, especially, and also options to become a trained leader of the programs if you're interested in bringing this work out into your community um, and there isn't yet a feast group there. So um, you'll find a lot of information. And um, and then me personally, um, in addition, you can find me at danariser.com. Um, and that includes everything from uh, my food uh, philosophies to yoga classes that you can find online and all of that fun stuff as well. Oh, I'm going to find a yoga class. That would be yeah, really please, fun. Please I, yeah, I like, I'm not like a, <laughs> I'm not an avid yoga person, but I do try to do it, you know, as much as I can. I'm a, I'm a big time swimmer. So that takes up most of my, oh, my time, but, um, which is kind of yoga. It's kind of meditation. It's anyway. all yoga. Honestly. <laughs> it's all yoga. I mean, I, Everything is it yoga. Is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. I tell people, you know, it's like, they're just shapes. Like there's nothing actually that like magical about the practice of yoga, right. but it's about mindfulness. So we use that practice to come into our bodies, to feel our breath. And if you have another way that you do that, swimming is so beautiful because it does that so profoundly. Mm. Um, but it could also be cooking. It can be music. You know, all of it is a form of yoga as 
as long as the attention and intention is there. So thank you. I mean, so much. This is a Mind beautiful Over Food thing. Podcast I Network. highly encourage this is my listeners well aware. to and I'm your host, Feast, Andy Friedman. Look up Dana, look up Feast, see what they're doing. It is really um, very special and what we need right now, it's really ground zero, I think, because I think it could filter out into everything. All the other problems we're having in the world starts right here, ground zero at, in nourishment and getting rid of the food apartheid. Yeah. yeah, it's that saying, like how you do anything is how you do everything, right? So if you yeah. start yourself, start making those changes, start you know, finding ways to feel nourished that is going to ripple out. It's going to have a big impact on not just your own life, but the lives of everyone around you. So, I mean, thank you for the work that you do. And thank you for talking with me today on the podcast, on the Mind Over Food podcast. Um, I appreciate it so much. And it has been a pleasure and a joy. Thank you for inviting me. It's been really fun. I hope you enjoyed this interview with my very special guest, Dana Reiser, the Executive Director at Feast. Please visit my webpage at mindoverfood.com if you'd like to listen to more of these Quick Bite podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Mind Over Food or are interested in one of my free 15-minute consultations, please visit my website or email me at andy at mindoverfood.com. You can also contact me on Facebook at facebook.com slash mindoverfoodtraining. And I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to Quick Bites by Mind Over Food. I'm Andy Friedman. Keep an ear out for more Quick Bites coming soon. Quick Bites.